the point is, I think we, we get caught into believing that our decisions, whether small or, or, or large, they, uh, they don't impact our future. That there's this underlining belief that, that we can escape the consequences of our decision because we're young. Most of us are probably in our 20s or maybe early 30s. And I think we believe this because we have this kind of subconscious belief that I think culture is impressed upon you and impressed upon me that, man, life happens later, right? Work happens later, marriage happens later, kids happen later, later and even death happens, happens later. And so 30 has kind of become the new 20. And so we look at our 20s as kind of this awkward in-between stage where we kind of get to have fun, right? We get to um, party and date and, and drink and spend money we don't have and kind of live it up because adulthood is coming, right? Probably not around 25 or 26, maybe 27, but probably closer to, to 30. And so your 20s is kind of a time where you're afforded the ability to be somewhat irresponsible. In fact, the media has kind of latched on to the fact that most millennials and maybe not you guys, but most in, in general, are kind of irresponsible, and they've, they've named the millennial generation kid adults. And I think, at least from the top of my head, I can think of three ways that I've seen millennials live without intentionality. That's essentially to say to live without purpose or to live without a goal. The first is in dating. And I want you to know that dating matters. I mean, it, it, who you share part of your heart with and who you share your time with is important because you matter, because you are valuable. And culture says if you're dating an idiot in your 20s, it doesn't really matter. It's not like you're going to marry them, right? And we're just buying time until we meet the right person or kind of like trying out the car before you drive it. I think that's something else, right? But you get it. Or the second is, is your job, right? I want you to know that your job right now matters, right? Millennials often think I'm just working this dead-end job at this random place or whatever it is, and it doesn't really matter because I'm just going to wait out until I get the offer of my dream job or I'll figure out what I really want to do with my life when I'm older. But right now, I just don't really want to I don't want to settle down. I don't want to live that ordinary type of life. In fact, there's a book um, that I would love to recommend to you. It's called Ordinary. And it, um, it basically says that God uses ordinary people, like you and me, when we become Christians, to do extraordinary things with our lives. And then the third thing, and I think it's the most important, and that most people neglect, is their spiritual life. Often millennials think that they'll figure out the whole spiritual life after they have fun, right? And, and when, they're, when they're older. But right now, it just doesn't really seem that important. So that's the reason so many, I think, of millennials, and just people in general, to be honest with you, kind of come to church and they spectate. They don't really participate, but they kind of show up, and they never actually really get involved because they're just spectating. They don't really want to get involved because they know that's going to probably change their life. And so here's the point. The neglect of these areas of our life kind of has real problems, the real consequences in our marriages and in our, in our relationships and our careers and our spiritual life because the reality is you are setting patterns now for what your life will look like in the future. And here's why we're talking about this. I read a study that said that 80% of life's most defining decisions and moments take place before the age of 30. That should terrify us, right? In fact, there's, there's, a, there's a, a biological or a physiological, call it timeline or restraint on this as well. Our brains actually stop developing in our 20s, about 25 and uh, in between 27. Um, and that means that you kind of really develop the, the habits, the patterns of thought, the behavioral patterns and attitudes really in your 20s, really who you're going to be in your marriage, how you're going to parent. That's all set in really the next 10 years of our lives. And so you know what this really means for our dating life. Even if you aren't ready to be married now, the best time to work on your marriage is now, before you're married. I mean, last week we said that there's no such thing as marital problems. There's two people who have problems who get married. And I promise you, it's easier to clean out your closet when you're single than it is when you're married, to get out of debt and stay out of bed and, and to process, like we talked about last week, family of origin issues. It's easier to process those things single than it is when you're with somebody. And then for your job, the first 10 years of your life, I'm sorry, the first 10 years of your career has a huge impact on how much money you will earn for the rest of your life. And same with savings, like compound interest and things like that. And plus, who wants to wake up really when they're 40? 
right, and look in the mirror and go, what on earth have I really been doing with my life? And I was thinking about the last one, and I think this is the most important, that essentially we are setting spiritual patterns in our life right now. I mean, just think about this for a second. Do you think that after ingraining a, a certain type of lifestyle or certain behaviors or patterns for the first 30 years of your life, it's going to be easier or harder to drop? I mean, see, at 30, you'll, you'll probably have bills. Maybe you'll, you'll, you'll be married with a family, and you'll have a career you're trying to figure out. Things are going to get harder, not easier for you to connect with God. There's a book that's entitled How We Love by James K.A. Smith. That's another book I would love for you guys to read. And it basically talks about, it's this fancy term he calls living liturgically. And all that means in the book he describes is, is learning the rhythm of connecting with God now when you're young because it's easier. And see, the result is when you push things to your 30s, you now have this kind of enormous pressure from culture, from your parents to pick a career, to get married, to start a family. And, and here's why we're talking about this. Because that can force you to make bad decisions and have a huge amount of stress in your life. And and then you're going to have to look back at your 20s and think, what was I doing? I was going to the club, I was drinking, I was partying, I was dating all these people, now I have all this emotional baggage, and now I have a marriage that's falling apart, now I have kids that I can't connect with, and, and, and it's not going the way that I wanted. We said this last week, that everyone ends up somewhere. Few people end up, end up there intentionally, because they don't live with intentionality. They don't set goals and have purpose and, and move forward in that type of way. I heard an illustration from a pastor about, about the, like, millennials, about young adults in, in their lives, and, and, he, and I really liked it. He said that at our age, we're like an airplane taking off from a runway. The smallest adjustment here and now totally changes our destination. The smallest change here can totally change and alter our destination. And so in this series and over the next few weeks, I really want to talk about two things. The first is to make you aware that your 30s is not the new 20s, that your future starts here, it starts right now at whatever age you are. And then the second is to help you come with a plan to prepare you for your marriage, because that starts now. To help you plan for your purpose and your career and your spiritual life. Today, I was thinking about talking about dating, but I remembered that Cody did a dating series um, not too long ago, and so I figured I don't want to be super repetitive. And so today, we're going to talk about your careers, or better said, maybe your purpose. And we're not going to talk about your specific calling today, because that would take a whole series and lots of individual time together. But I think I do want to spend some time talking about how to set yourself up for that job, and how it aligns with your individual purpose in life. Because here's the reality. And I don't know if you grew up in a Christian home, and I didn't really, so I didn't really understand this, but I believe you actually have an individual purpose. Like, there's a unique reason that your heart beats that's different than mine. That God has created you, and he's had you in his mind since eternity past, and decided to create you for a very specific reason. And here's my bet. Whether you got dragged here or not, or you're a Christian or not, you, you believe that you have probably a purpose and a meaning for you being alive. I mean, you may disagree with me on how that happens. You may believe it's, it's subjective or objective, meaning you get to come up with your meaning or that it's predetermined by God before you were ever even born. But because you, you probably have that belief or you've asked that question, why am I here? I think you're different. I think you and I are, are, are different than other created things. I mean, the very fact that you and I ask questions like, why do I exist? Do I have a purpose and a meaning for my existence? I think that means that you and I are different. Let me give you maybe a silly example. I mean, just think about this. I mean, my little corgi named Zara, right, has never once, when I drag her by the collar at night, and as I'm going to put her into the kitchen, looked up at me before we went to bed and said, Matt, what am I doing here, right? Like, why does my little heart just beat so hard in my chest? Like, why am I here? I can just imagine her having this, like, existential crisis, right, just howling at the moon, going, why do I exist? No, right? She just wants a milk bone, maybe to go on someone to pet her, and she thinks it would be great to go on a walk and smell things, like a tree or something, right? That's about it. See, <laughs> it's a great life. She, she 
See, there's something in you that believes there's more to life. And Christianity has an answer for that. It says, yes, there is a unique reason that you have that desire in your heart to ask the question why. Right? And it's because you do have a purpose and your life has meaning. And there's a God who knows your name. And there's a God who has a specific plan for your life. And if you choose to listen and make yourself available, you can find it. But that's another thing. I don't think you and I are really available to God. I mean, we come to church, we may read our Bible, but really, really, we have set in stone what we want to do. And so I meet with so many people that say, I just can't hear God's voice in my life. And I said, well, do you really want to? What if God was going to destroy your dreams? Would you want to listen? Would you even be open to listening? If he had said, I know you went to school for this, and you, but I really have this for you. Would you even be willing to hear that? I say, I think one of the reasons God doesn't speak to us is because we aren't making ourselves truly available for him to speak. Now, all that maybe to say is, in short, you are different than a dog or other created things for that matter because you were created in God's image. And see, what's interesting in modern times is, is and I've met people that, that have con- tried to convince people of the opposite, that you know, scientists tell us that you're just a, a biological machine there to propagate and pass on DNA. And that you are, I've heard uh, theologians say this, that we could be cosmic orphans without God. But I think it's impossible to really live that way. Because there's something inside you and inside me that wants to know if our life matters, if we have purpose and meaning. I mean, you cannot be a wholesome individual believing your life was purposeless. I mean, you may not even know what your purpose is. I mean, we're pretty young, and so we may not. But you probably believe there's something out there for you, right? That's probably how you go to college, right? Because there's something out there for you, right? And you can get up and go to that math class or whatever it is because there's something for you. And so that really, I think, leaves us with two kind of philosophical options or two worldviews, I guess I would say. The first is called nihilism, and I think I have a slide for this. And this is that there is no God and there is no purpose. See, if God is not in the picture, you really are kind of a mistake. You really have no meaning and no purpose. I mean, you can pretend like you have a purpose, but really you don't actually have a real purpose. And I think nihilism also leads to some absurd views. The Holocaust was propagated out of a nihilistic worldview, right? Hitler was, was a nihilist. He believed that um, the Jewish race um, was taking from people who were genetically better or, or whatever it may be. So he decided to ethnically purge the world of the Jewish race. Because why? Because the world doesn't have really any no morality and no meaning and no purpose. And if there is no reason for your life, then we can really do what we ever want. And then the second one, and I think is so much different and brings so much joy and purpose into our lives, is Christianity, which is Christian theism. And what's different there is that you can know God and know your purpose. And I said this worldview could not be more different to think that there is a God who knows your name, who gave you certain gifts and opportunities for a specific purpose, that the being who spoke the universe into existence wants you to know him and wants to know you. Tonight, I guess I just want to briefly mention how we can find the clues to our specific purpose and, and meaning, that we can, and actually next week I was going to spend more time in that, but today I guess I just want to show you guys one thing. And I believe that each one of you has God's thumbprint on your soul, right? And, and there's the, the universally, I think we have this, that, that we have the ability to reason, to think, and to care, and to love, but I think there's also uniqueness about each one of you guys. There's an individual uniqueness that God has placed in you for a reason, and here's what I want you guys to understand for tonight. One of the best ways to discover God's plan for your life is to pay attention to the uniqueness God has placed inside you. Because it's that uniqueness that will give you clues to who God designed you to be and what you're supposed to do with your life. And so if that's, not, if that's true, why would we not ask God for that? I meet so many people who don't really know the purpose of their lives because I ask, well, have you ever asked God? Have you ever asked God, like, why do you exist? Like, what's the career he really wants? They go, I, I, I never really have. And so that's a challenge I want to give to you guys this season of your life is to maybe just get alone, maybe fast or whatever it is, and say, God, like, why am I here? Like, what is it, you've given me certain gifts, I'm good at this, or I'm a good listener, or, I'm, or whatever it may be, what is it that you have for me? 
I mean, I've spent my entire life thinking of my plan and my purpose and what I want to be doing, but I've never really like, asked the author of life, the God who created me, like, why am I here? That's a challenge I, I want to give to you because I believe if you begin to pray that, you'll see things differently because you'll see the things you looked for, and when you begin to ask, seek, and look, you'll be, I think, shocked at how willing God is to really, I think you'll be shocked at how willing God is to communicate to you. And I think once you've thought through this, one of the ways to discover God's will is to take advantage of, of opportunities God places in our lives. Let me give you maybe another silly example. Eight years ago, Cody came to me, and uh, I was in the high school group, and he came to me and handed me a piece of paper and said, I want you to be an intern for me. And I was like, uh, what's an intern? He's like, you'll get paid like a dollar an hour, and like you work like 70 hours a week. And I was like, that doesn't sound like a great idea, bro. Like, that sounds like a terrible idea, right? And, uh, and about that time, my uncle, who was a general in the Army, who was the chairman for ROTC for the entire nation, which is a pretty big thing, um, for the Army, um, handed me a piece of paper and said, um, your whole plan for your life was to join the Army. Here's the, the form that will make your life a lot easier. You'll be an officer. And my whole plan, right, was I want to eventually get in the Army, get out of the Army, and I want to be on the counterterrorism unit in the FBI. That was my goal, right? I had it all planned out since I was like three. And uh, I remember looking at this paper thinking, all right, I could choose my plan, or I could sign this little piece of paper over here and see where it takes me. And so I fasted and I prayed and I made myself available. And I said, God, what is it? And I felt that God wanted me to take six months over here in this internship. And so I signed the little piece of paper, never knowing what was really going to happen. Did I ever think that that little job, as Cody's slave, <laughs> as his indentured servant, was going to radically change the trajectory of my life? Right? That, that one small signature on that paper was going to lock in where I was going to live, what college I was eventually going to go to, and where I was going to study, what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life, and who I was going to marry someday. No. It was just an opportunity. I felt like God was asking me to step in and trust him. But I only knew that because I, cons I asked him. I talked with him, and then I made myself available. And I think this is how God, I think this is how God works. God, and I want, you to, I want you to understand this. God guides our professional careers and our personal lives through opportunities, not miracles. God uses our current opportunities to connect us with future opportunities. See, when we don't have the job or career that we want, often we, we kind of come to God and, and we start praying for a miracle. God, will you, will you just help me get the, the perfect job or you open doors or whatever it is? And, and we want him to intervene in this kind of magical way, but that's not often how God works. And if God generally guides us to future opportunities through our present opportunities, it means that your current employment or wherever you're in in life matters, even if you hate it. See, I think this is, important, this is an important reminder for me, at least, because I don't want you to divorce the reality from discovering God's will, that you are where you're at for a specific reason, to learn something for character development or whatever it may be. And so as Christians, I think we need to be aware of our current situations and, and be kind of ready to leverage them and take advantage of the new opportunities when God brings them to you and to me. And see, when you open the Bible, the, the Bible is littered with this theme. From the most familiar and popular stories where, where God is doing something huge, where he's changing a, a, a group of people, where he's changing the entire world through salvation, God worked by opening a series of opportunities that people saw because they were asking God for them. Let me give you maybe a silly example. Um, I was thinking about this stories in the Bible this last week, and David came to mind. I mean, his responsibility was to take care of sheep, right? And, and, and it wasn't this glorious job. In fact, his family pretty thought it was kind of a silly job, a pretty lame job, and kind of forgot about him. And so one day, as he's taking care of the sheep, a lion comes out and takes one of the sheep and carries it off. And so what, is, what does he do? Well, if you take your responsibility half-heartedly, right? You don't really care about your job as a shepherd. You kind of go, well, bummer. I didn't really like Fluffy anyways, right? Like, whatever. What, we have one less to feed or whatever it is. But what's interesting about David and what the scriptures tell us is that he went after that lion, and you and I read that, and we probably just skip right over that. 
But yo, have you, have you seen a lion before? I mean, I've been on a safari in Africa before, and those things are gnarly. They're huge. And David was a teenager at this time. But David steps up and kills this lion. You fast forward a few chapters, and the scene happens again, but now with a bear. It comes after the sheep, and he goes and kills it too. Now, what next happens in, in his kind of story and journey is really interesting, and I want you to imagine this with me. One day, David's dad comes to him and says, hey, I want you to go and check on your brothers who are at war right now with the Philistine army, and I want you to report back to me how they're doing. Here's some sandwiches, cut just like they want it, give it to them, they'll be excited, right, or whatever. So he gets on his horse or whatever, or sheep, <laughs> puts his backpack on and goes heads to, 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 the, to the battle. And as he's walking over there, he climbs the hill, he sees smoke. On the right-hand side is the Israelite army, thousands of people, and on the left-hand side is the Philistine army, thousands of people. And he notices that no one's fighting. It's dead silent. So he finally goes down, sees this huge divide between the two armies, no one's fighting, and he walks over to the Israelites and asks where, where his brothers were. Eventually finds his brothers. He sees everyone hiding in their tents, cowering in fear. Finally gets to his brothers, and just as he asks, what's going on? He sees this giant of a man named Goliath walk out onto the field and start making fun of the Israelite God, Yahweh. And he says something like this, bring your best guy out, winner takes all. And he starts like cursing their God and saying that he's fake and that he's, he's pathetic and things like that. And David does something interesting. He goes over to King Saul and says, I'll fight him. David was known to be a pretty small guy. Most scholars believe he's like 5'1". Some scholars believe Goliath was upwards of nine feet. So there's this teenager who's five foot, 100 pounds, is going to fight this giant of a man. He goes to Saul and says, hey, I'll fight him. And he goes like, dude, you're going to be like, killed instantly. So Saul takes his, his armor and says, Look, well, at least maybe for some, like, it'll maybe last like five more seconds if you wear my armor. It falls off him and he goes, this isn't how I do this, right? Like, I'll just take my sling, walks out there, and as, as, David, as Goliath starts charging him, I can imagine like the rocks on the ground like running up, right? Like, like, like they're, they're moving. And, and so he's like kind of, calm, looking at the ground, finds the perfect pebble, picks it up, just swings it, and it nails Goliath right in the forehead. Knocks Goliath down, he walks over to him, takes Goliath's own sword, chops off his head, cuts his head off with his own sword, picks up this like mountain of a head, points it at the other side of the army, grabs it with his right hand, and just walks back to his side, and it's dead silent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, David killed Goliath by just doing an extension of what he was already doing. I mean, he, he killed lions and bears with his sling. This eventually turned him into a national hero, and eventually it turned him into the king. And see, when you read his story, there's nothing supernatural about it. God didn't, like, allow David or Goliath to have a heart attack as he was running towards him. David had to, like, step up. And it's just an event after another event that David took advantage of, and then he eventually became king and led all of God's people in Israel. See, this is how God works. God uses our current situations, our current circumstances, whatever they may be, to open up future ones if we are good stewards of what God has given us now and today. Let me give you another story. It's found in Genesis 37. It's the story of Joseph. Now, if you think you hate your job, I don't know what your job is, but if you think you hate your job, Joseph's job was far worse. It begins with him being thrown in a well by his brothers who hated him. And then he gets eventually taken to Egypt as a slave and then gets purchased by a, an official. But Joseph was interesting. He had a unique gift set. His unique gift set was actually creating org charts. He was really good at administration. And what ends up happening is, uh, as a slave, he kind of leans into it, and he begins to gain more favor with his master, Potiphar. And even kind of in this situation, this cruddy kind of situation, he uses this opportunity that no one else would want. And so God honors it. He then gets kind of framed for trying to rape someone. It's a complete lie. And then gets thrown into the dungeon. And there he leans into his unique thumbprint. He was good at administration. And he makes an org chart for the entire kind of dungeon and the, gets favor from the warden. 
And Joseph didn't know what was kind of happening, but he was kind of a key part of what God was doing in the world at that time, all because he was leaning in to what his gift set was, and he leveraged opportunities he was presented with. Now, you fast forward a few chapters and a few years into his life, and the slave is now the most second powerful person in the entire world because the Pharaoh hears about his gift set and decides that he wants him to uh, use it on a grand scale for all of Egypt. And this kind of sets him up to reunite with his family, who he eventually forgives, and he ends up saving them from a famine that was going to take the lives of not just their family, but millions of people, all because of his gift set, and he leaned into what he was good at and used the current circumstances to glorify God in. And it all happened because one man, like he leaned into his skill set and took an opportunity that led to another. See, with that all being said, I want to just kind of journey through two verses quickly um, that I think have profound implication for where we are in our lives. And so let me kind of set it up for you. Paul, just previous to the verses we're going to go over, just talked about how, difficult, how we have all difficult relationships, right? It's parents to a kid. It's marriages. It's masters and slaves. That's kind of what he's talking about. And then he kind of pulls back and gives you and I this general principle. And so I want you to listen to this verse in the context of what we just spoke about. It'll be up on the screen. It says this in Colossians 3.23. It says, whatever you do. So he's essentially saying, I listen, I know you want to be working somewhere else. You want to be doing something else. You want the bigger house, the better job, the more money, the nicer, whatever. But in the meantime, whatever you do or wherever you are, he continues and says this, work at it with all your heart. Literally pour your heart into it, no matter how bad your boss is or what your working situation is, fully engage in what you're doing. And you ask the question, why? And he gives us the next verse. As working for the Lord, not human masters. And master here is kind of a bad translation, but really what he's kind of saying is everyday people and everyday tasks. And, and here's what he's communicating to you with me and why I want to share it with you today. He's essentially saying, I want you to look at your work as a task and opportunity given to you by God. Not as it's an okay job, and I'm just dealing with it till the next one comes or whatever it is, but to look at as it, you were given this opportunity by God to be a good steward of it because your future opportunities will lead you from this current one. And then he kind of ends in, in, in this kind of way in verse 24. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so here's what this means, and I find this really interesting. Paul actually thought that there would be some eternal reward based on our response to the opportunities that God gives us today. See, what we do in this world and life echoes in eternity, that there are eternal ramifications to how we steward the opportunities God brings along today. And so let me give you a quick summary of what Paul is kind of charging you and I to do and what I'm going to make this year about, and I want to pray that you make this year about it too. The first is to seek God through prayer in his specific will for your life. I want to challenge you to do that if you never have. And the second is do everything now as if you are doing it for God. And the most amazing thing about this, I think God says and looks at that and says, I'll answer that prayer. And I'll max out your skill set. In fact, I'll grow it. And I'll do some incredible things with your life. Today, I, I want to end our, our services a little differently. I want to finish with a couple of questions that I'm actually going to ask you guys to turn and discuss in a moment with some people. And I'll just be honest, these questions might be a little bothersome for you to answer because they kind of like make you really reflect on your life. And I've asked these questions of myself and some of them made me pretty uncomfortable. And so here's the first question. And I'm going to give you a minute to talk to somebody around you. Here's the first question. And you can put it up. Based on your current performance, would you trust you with a better opportunity? Based on your current performance, would you trust you with a better opportunity? In other words, if you knew what you knew about you and you had a better opportunity, would you give it to you? So the question is, based on your current performance, would you trust you with a better opportunity? I'll give you guys a minute. Turn to somebody and discuss it. Ready, set, go.
All right, I'll give you the next the question. The next question. You're, con- you're welcome to continue on that question, but the next question is this. If this current opportunity you have is a stewardship from God, would you give you another opportunity? Should God give you that next opportunity in your career, in a relationship, or in life? All right, ready, set, go. Essentially, the question could be boiled down to, are you being a good steward? And if so, And by the way, a steward means you're responsible. Are you guys ready for the next question? No, my bad. He's really going for it. Some of you guys are crying. No, I'll give you the next question anyways because it's just going to be up there. Next question is this. Are you preparing for the next opportunity or are you waiting for it? Are you preparing for the next opportunity or are you waiting for it? All right, ready, set, go. Ready for the next one? Yeah, last one, last one. All right, I'm gonna give you the last question. Last question is this. What can you begin doing where you are now to prepare for the next opportunity? What can you begin doing where you are now to prepare for the next opportunity? All right, I'll give you guys a minute. Ready, set, go.
All right, guys, bring it up here. All right, so here's what I want you guys to know. And this, this is somewhat encouraging to me. When I think about people in the Bible and things like that, the most strategic person besides Moses or Abraham in the history of Israel was Joseph. And what's interesting about Joseph, he did jobs way below himself until he was 30. In fact, even, even Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30. He took the first 30 years of his life to prep for his ministry, and he changed the entire world with only three years of him actively doing ministry. And so here's, here's what I want to end with. And I think it's a promise that God gives us. It's a, it's a promise that God offers you and offers me. It's, it's, it's this promise. If you promise to fully engage with the current opportunities God brings in our path, and the second part of that is become good stewards of your life, God promises to give us a purpose. And God promises to do some incredible, incredible things with our lives. Let me pray for us. God, as I, uh, God, as I reflect on purpose... And God, how lost I was without you. I'm so thankful, God, that you tugged into my heart and pulled me, God, here. Lord, how different my life would be if I signed those ROTC papers instead of the internship papers. God, I know that so many of us right now are making some critical decisions, God, that are going to alter the course of our life. And I just ask, God, that you um, tug on our heart to make the right ones. Father, that you give us wisdom and discernment, Lord God, as we, um, as we seek you, as we follow you, God. And, and I pray, God, that we continue to learn how to hear your voice and that we can continue to learn, God, to make you to make ourselves, God, available for you. Lord God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.